from downtown Milwaukee, welcome to Money Talk with Bob Landis. Each week, professional advisors from Landis and Company Investments discuss the latest financial developments, offering timely insight and long-term perspective. This is Money Talk for December 29th, 2023. Sunday night football has the Packers headed to Minnesota to play the Vikings. The Bucks are at home tonight with the Cleveland Cavaliers, and then they're hitting the road for a whole week. And this year, New Year's Day is New Year's weekend is a three-day weekend. So let's all be careful out there. It's been weeks since I've piled on to Florida for being the melting pot of crazies that it is. <laughs> From Lee County, Florida, the sheriffs were called to the mall not for shoplifters, but for a 12-foot-long, 600-pound alligator. The gator was just window shopping for Christmas presents for the missus. And one more from Florida. A real human skull was found for sale at a Florida thrift store. Who knew? I get all my skulls on Radio Drive. <laughs> Most of us have superstitions for the new year. Here in Wisconsin, some of us believe eating herring on New Year's Eve will bring us health and wealth. In China for New Year's Eve, they make and eat snake soup for good luck. It seems that good luck isn't extended to the snakes. The Chinese seem to miss the irony. <laughs> From California, a 17-year-old passed the state bar exam. He's not even old enough for a celebratory beer. And finally, Ralph, big Ralphie D'Amato is the concierge, he's not the concierge, he's the consigliere, and number three in the infamous Colombo American Mafia crime family. Big Ralphie pled guilty to federal felony charges, including this laundry list, racketeering, extortion, loan sharking, money laundering, conspiracy, drug trafficking, and fraud. And he only got three years. He must know somebody. <laughs> well, he went missing before sentencing, but it was taken down by social media. You don't mess with Facebook. His adult son posted a topless photo of Big Ralphie poolside in Florida. I know I could sneak another Florida story in here. <laughs> the picture contained enough clues for the feds to find and arrest him again. I think his son must be looking for a new attorney. Well, I know a 17-year-old who's looking for work. <laughs> <laughs> On the podcast today, we have Adam Bailey, Kendall Bauer, Joel Dreesing, and wrapping up the week, here's Kyle Tedding. Disappointed it wasn't a 17-year-old Florida resident, but I think we may uh, have some clarity on that and some of your other stories. Uh, a good year overall for the markets as we wrapped uh, trading for the year this afternoon, Friday afternoon, December 29th. The NASDAQ finished the week up a tenth of a percent to put a cap on a year that saw the NASDAQ climb 44.6%, including dividends. The S&P 500 up three-tenths of a percent the last week of the year, the last four trading days at least, closing at 47.70 to finish the year up 26.3%, including dividends. And the Dow Jones Industrial Average after struggling for much of the year to, to gain traction, put it together in the fourth quarter, finishing the week up 303 points, up eight-tenths of a percent, and for the year, up 16.2, including dividends. Don't always point this out, but notable that yields on just about every major treasury that we watch, the 10-year, the 5-year, the 13-week, move lower for the week. Uh, and the 10-year and the 5-year lower on the year, although just barely for the 10-year, started the year at 3.88%, finishing the year at 3.87, a pretty meaningful move, despite what was at times a pretty substantial move higher for the 10-year. Um, you know, maybe I think 
a good opportunity as we put a cap on 2023 to talk about uh, some meaningful headlines from the year, what worked, what didn't, uh, maybe just touch on a little bit of kind of what that might mean going forward. Um, but I think we'd be remiss, Joel, if we didn't talk about a notable death this year. Um, one of the, the very founders of kind of how we view investing. Yeah, Harry Markowitz died, uh, I think it was in July, over the summer he passed away. And um, he was a, a mathematician who um, put together some economic principles on on how to uh, balance assets in a, in a portfolio and, and the mix that they had. And it's the fundamentals of um, efficient the efficient frontier, which is something that propels a lot of the uh, the asset management that, that we do here? Yes, the fundamentals of what we do, essentially not putting all of your eggs in one basket, right? I mean, he won the Nobel Prize in economics for essentially saying, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Have some stocks, have some bonds, have some real estate, and so on. And he was very much the father of, you know, what we call the 60-40 portfolio today. And, um, you know, we were talking before the show starts, and I, and I found it interesting that you go back a year ago, and there are so many headlines out there that said, you know, the 60-40 portfolio is dead and people just left it by the wayside. And here we are at the end of this year. And the 60-40 portfolio is having a banner year, one of the best years it's ever had, if not the best. Uh, how about that? Yeah, how fitting in Markowitz's uh, year of his death that he at least lived to see uh, some payback for the, the pain that we all suffered through in 2022. And it goes back to what you originally said on, you know, what has worked this year. It's kind of like a year in reflection, what has worked. Well, you know what worked? Balance and asset al allocation and stocks and bonds. Uh, stocks and bonds were positive this year, the exact opposite of what we had last year where uh, stocks and bonds were down double digits. Yeah, Kendall, certainly a small number of names maybe drove a lot of the returns, uh, any number of ways to kind of classify that. I think the list changed a little bit, um, but some, some key names, um, you know, but not just those seven stocks. It was stocks more broadly. Yeah, um, and no shocker, too, when, when you hear the, the Magnificent Seven having the year that they have. you got to remember, too, some of those stocks were down 60 70% last year. Um, so to be where they are today, um, I don't think is all that shocking. Um, I think it's fantastic, and no one here is going to complain about it. Um, but n good to not overlook, um, you know, just how well most stocks have done as well. Um, you have the exception of utilities and energy, um, but remember those were the some of the front runners last year. So um, a good reminder too, uh, you know, some of that is cyclical, right? Um, and think we should be absolutely thrilled with where markets are at year to date. And don't utilities use, usually lose favor as um, because a lot of people get them for the dividends? And so when you've got like money markets paying as much as they have now, th they're less attractive. Yeah, you're right. If you go back the past several years with interest rates being so low for so long, um, utilities became a surrogate for bond money, right? When interest rates were low and you could get 2% on a bond or maybe 3% on a utility. You, know, you looked at the utility and said, okay, well, uh, that's relatively stable. The dividend's pretty good. I'll take that as opposed to a low-yielding bond. But now that interest rates have come up, uh, and even uh, yields on money markets and cash has come up, bonds and cash are offering a lot more competition to utilities. And that's really what's played out this year in the utility sector. 
Well, and let's talk about Bonds for a second because I think it would be easy to have entered this year and thought, oh, we can leave we can leave those aside. We don't need the, those as part of our portfolio. And part of the reason for that was how quickly interest rates had risen in 2022. And as I mentioned at the open, the yield on the 10-year U.S. Treasury basically flat for the year, down a basis point. Um, and it allows 2023 now to be really a coupon year for bonds. It wasn't a year in which we saw huge price movement mostly across the board. It was a year in which investors captured the very higher yields that they paid for in lower returns in 2022. And so I think, you know, we we talked about Markowitz at the beginning and we talked about the return of the balanced portfolio. Well, know that uh, if all interest rates do is stay stable from here, you know, you're going to be pretty happy with the coupon you're getting. You're going to be pretty happy with that interest payment. Long term, that's all you should expect from bonds anyways. And 2023, I think the perfect example. And then maybe the last piece of this, Kendall, is just uh, looking at the fact that global stocks seem to do okay as well. Yeah. Uh, Non-U.S. stocks, global stocks having a good year. Um, recently, we've seen the, the dollar decline a little bit over the last six weeks, which has contributed some, to some nice... Um, returns and a little bit of a rally on the non-U.S. side. But um, again, I think overall a great year, uh, certainly relative to last year on the non-U.S. stock side of things. And of course, not everywhere all at once. Maybe a nice transition from what did work to what didn't. Um, if you were a, an investor in Chinese companies this year, you certainly got hurt pretty pretty badly. Um, I think China more broadly showing some some cracks in the foundation of what was you know, the economy that could seem to grow at 7 or 8% regardless of what was going on in the rest of the world, well, yeah, all of a sudden we're seeing maybe that wasn't as solid as we thought. And so, you know, you look at stock investors looking in China, yeah, it's a small piece of the global market, but a, a tough year overall there. You mentioned utilities and energy stocks. I'd point out maybe, Adam, there's a particular strategy we get asked about all the time in terms of you know, what's the right time to get in or out of, of the market that maybe didn't work quite so well this year either? No. Um, you know what worked really well? Patience and the buy and hold. That trounced every other strategy out there, not market timing, not trying to get in or get out. Uh, if there's ever been a year that's a reminder that patience, balance, asset allocation pays off, this would have been it. You know, we've measure this any number of ways, but essentially you can look at maybe five or 10 trading days, a few handfuls at most that account for, in any given year, the vast majority of returns this year through the early part of December, we could count five trading days that accounted for more than 50% of the return in the S&P 500. So um, I think more obvious this year than it is in others, but the reality is you don't get to pick and choose which days you're in or out and know you're going to be right. And so you gotta you gotta have that patience. And remember that the biggest up days almost always come after the biggest down days. And and you can't give up. It's all about time in the market, not trying to time it, uh, and just having patience through the good days and the bad. And and remember that patience not only is it a virtue, but it's a skill, and it's a skill that the market rewards more than anything else. And certainly, investors' patience has been rewarded this year. It's a skill that takes practice, that takes coaching, that takes education. It's part of what we do every day in our conversations. It doesn't mean we don't react to market inefficiency, market pricing, opportunity. It just means that um, we're not so overly confident that today is the best day or the worst day that we're going to commit everything you have. You know, Joel, I think 
transitioning from kind of the what worked and what didn't towards some of the big highlights of the year, I think more than anything else with the Federal Reserve in focus, kind of the, the path for inflation this year has been um, maybe the thing that catches my eye more than anything else. And clearly seeing signs that inflation is lower, but some room still for growth there, some room still to get it back to that 2% target. That's right. So the latest reading we have of the Fed's favorite gauge, which is the Personal Consumption Expenditure Index, um, that was in November at 2.6%, which is the lowest it's been since February of 2021. but back in February of 20, uh, 2020, just before COVID, it was 1.6%. And it's a reminder that before COVID, um, the, the Fed still had this target of 2% inflation, and they just couldn't get up there. They couldn't get it up to 2%. Now, you know, they're, they're fighting. They've had these historic uh, short-term rate increases to try to get it down to 2%. Um, so we're at 2.6% right now. It was up as high as it was over 7% in the summer of 2022. So that's that's progress. And they've done it without the so far having the recession, having the the economy actually, you know, go backward, which was predicted all through 2023. Yeah. You know, when we started out this year, even the Federal Reserve was anticipating growth at the end of this year being uh, very little. And here we are in, in December, and growth is on pace to be nearly six times as much as they thought it was going to be when we started out this year. And the Federal Reserve, um, you know, they have been able to engineer uh, what eventually I think we're going to call a soft landing. It might be too early to make that call officially. Uh, but they've been able to bring down inflation um, and w- without upsetting the labor market and without pushing us into a recession as the economist inside of me. Uh, I, I'm, I got to be the first to acknowledge that is just a, a knife edge that they've been able to balance this on, and they've done it so far. Um, cool. well, and I think that as we, we talk about that forecast, right, and the number of economists, the number of people that looked at the market or looked at the economy coming in 2023 and said, there's no way this ends well, um, I think it's a good reminder that as we talk about forecasts for next year, well, there's a pretty broad range of forecasts out there right now, whether you're looking at Eddie Ardenny that's calling, you know, 5,700 for the S&P, which would be a pretty meaningful run, or whether you're looking at some of the more pessimistic forecasts in the, you know, 2,500 or 3,000 range for the S&P. Um, I think the answer tends to lie somewhere in between. Um, and we can spend, you know, the month of January kind of talking through here's what we think is coming. But I think, you know, the the outcomes of 2023 remind us that the range of expectations needs to be pretty broad. You know, I think the other kind of major theme for me this year, Kendall, was the amount of crisis that we were able to come through beyond just the inflation conversation, uh, which was a crisis in its own right and one that the Fed, you know, as Adam pointed out, navigated pretty well. But add in wars, add in banking crisis, there was no shortage of things that kind of drew our attention away from maybe long term what's more important. Yeah. Uh, in the words of uh, Mr. Arthur Rothschild, um, this bull market climbed the wall of worry. Um, you look at what we endured this year, just some of the big kind of highlights. Um, you know, in March, we saw a banking crisis blow up on the West Coast. Um, you know, fortunately, that didn't bleed through the rest of, you know, the, the U.S. and regional banks. You still have an ongoing conflict in Ukraine. Unfortunately, that doesn't appear to have any 
um, resolve in sight. You have another conflict that's erupted in the Middle East with Israel. Um, and then the last few weeks or month, you've seen some issues in China. Um, and all the while, stocks have continued to look beyond that um, and push even up higher towards the end of the year here as we sit today. You know, I think there's always this tendency to look at a year in which stocks are up as much as they are and um, kind of extrapolate that out into the future. And Adam, I know you and I were talking before the podcast about kind of this idea that perhaps we need to uh, have a different set of expectations for 2024 than maybe just what that extrapolation would tell us. Yeah, uh, after a year in which growth stocks were up 44 percent, S&P 500 is up 26 percent, I think. Uh, it begs the question, you know, what should we expect for next year? Uh, maybe we got to ratchet back our expectations. Um, but for me, it ultimately is going to come down to interest rates and earnings. That's what's going to take us higher, the fundamentals. Uh, interest rates, 10-year treasury, as you heard at the top of the show, 3.8%. Uh, still historically low borrowing costs for people and for businesses. Uh, corporate earnings for next year, somewhere between 10 and 12% growth in corporate earnings. Not that stocks will be up that much, but it's good to see earnings could be up that much. So for now, we have an environment of uh, historically low interest rates, cooling inflation, rising profitability, still healthy for long-term investors. But we also got to remember next year is an election year. Uh, not that it really matters to uh, the markets or the economy, but elections do create uncertainty. And the market doesn't like uncertainty. Uh, come November, we'll have it. We'll know who the president is. We'll know what Congress looks like. And, and then you can go back to trading on you know just interest rates and earnings. So next year, uh, there's still room to run in stocks and bonds, but expect volatility to continue. And Adam, expect the unexpected, because I mean, just as the U.S. is going to the election, election you know, to the voting booth next year, um, I was reading that more than two billion two billion people globally are going to be in elections this year and in, in, in twenty twenty four, and, and some of them are contested, and some of them are are heated, and and some of them are going to have consequences. Not that they're going to end up affecting people's portfolios. But you never know. I mean, there's the whole geopolitical thing that you don't know what the consequences of that are. And, and also not expecting the, ex, you know, the, the unexpected, um, getting back to, uh, to uh, Harry Markowitz, when he has, had been doing his uh, research early on at the University of Chicago, um, one of the economists there, Milton Friedman, um, actually looked at his work and said, this is not economics. Um, and then he ended up, you know, about 40 years later, but he, he won the <laughs> Nobel Prize in, in economics for that. Well, two billion voters uh, on their way to the, the polls next year. Um, I think the, the joke for us Wisconsinites is that's just in Illinois, correct? Those are just two billion <laughs> in Illinois. Um, but Voterly and often. You yeah. got it. <laughs> Uh, I think a, a very, very happy year, plenty to be content about, plenty to, to look forward to in the year to come. Um, I think, you know, inflation will be the thing we continue to keep our eye on, higher stock prices, um, certainly as we came through the, the fourth quarter of this year in particular. Uh, count on some inflation continuing to cool, the Fed being able to stick to that plan of maybe a couple of cuts next year. And so, uh, plenty of things that we're going to be focusing on as we transition into the new year. Uh, but as always, we enjoy doing the program for you. Uh, and most importantly, we'll talk to you again next year. 
Thank you for listening to Money Talk with Bob Landis. If you have a financial question you want answered on next week's show, email it to moneytalk at landis.com. To keep informed throughout the week, visit our Money Talk page at landis.com.